thought capital. No cash changes hands. Energy justice tax incentives. Environmental concerns. Resource taxation. Highly competitive. Australia is missing out. The social disorganization theory. We cannot think of China as just one big market. Hello, I'm Michael Pascoe. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia. Law and order, getting tough on crime, harsher sentencing. All are familiar catch cries in Australian politics. And not only catch cries, it seems, but reality. Australia is getting tougher on crime, judging by the prison population, which has risen rapidly over the last 10 years. It's booming. America went down this road of cleaning up crime many years ago, but some are starting to question the cost to society. What matters for crime is the structure of the community. If you start to punish and punish and punish, what you do, you put people in prison, but you put also father in prison. Growing up without a father meaning that you are more likely to be influenced by your peers, which are themselves criminals. And then you end up with this downward spiral where you end up with more crimes and less crime. In this episode, we will find out if there is a more efficient way of targeting criminals and destroying criminal networks. How less punishment can indeed lead to less crime, both in America and right here. We're doing it not with a criminologist or a sociologist, but with an economist, Yves Zanou, Professor of Economics, welcome to Thought Capital. How does an economist think about crime differently than a criminologist or a sociologist? Yeah, so uh, let me uh, put everything in perspective. Gary Becker, in 1968, from the University of Chicago, was the first economist saying that crime is within the purview of economics. Everything's within the purview yeah, of economics. Exactly. So, and that's that's the Chicago School. Everything, family, crime, anything that you think of sociology is economics. Why uh, is it economics? Is because you can look at the um, uh, social consequences of economic outcome. So, for example, people committing crime are not working. Working is labor. That's economics. Committing crime have an impact on the economy. They steal from other people. So everything is within the economy. So that's why we need to study that. The main difference between, I think, uh, sociologists, criminologists, and economists is that we have a different methodology. So we write uh, mathematical models, which we test empirically. Why? I don't think sociologists or criminologists do that. So we have this mathematical model, and we can test them empirically. That's, that's the main difference. Yeah. So is it just about an algorithm, or is it also a different way of thinking that economists tend to approach things by? Yes, so it's a different way of thinking. So basically, the economic approach is to say people are rational, and when they commit crime, they do a cost-benefit analysis. So they say, I'm rational, I'm going to commit crime if the cost is low enough compared to the benefit. Uh, However, that will be my criticism here, is saying that this is a limiting approach, because if you think of Becker, he said, because it's a cost-benefit, if you need to punish, 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 as much as you can, you're going to reduce crime. That's his theory. And it's, it's called the you know, broken window hypothesis. Don't tolerate anything. Zero tolerance. Punish like crazy, you end up with low crime. But you, as an economist, have looked at it a bit differently. Yeah. So I tried to look at differently, and uh, I, I, I work about the uh, structure of families, and this is coming actually from sociology. It's called the social disorganization theory. And basically saying that uh, what matters for crime uh, is also the structure of the community. 
So if you have a strong community who look after each other, who have values, then crime will not be important. So what I saw in my research basically is that if you start to punish and punish and punish, what you do, you put people in prison, but you put also father in prison. Putting father in prison, meaning that the kids grown up without father. Uh, growing up without a father, meaning that you are more likely to be influenced by your peers, which are themselves criminal. And then you end up with this downward spiral where you end up with more crimes and less crime. And family matters. So if you look at U.S., which is a good example, uh, why is because U.S. has the highest uh, per capita incarceration rate, highest crime rate in the world. So it's an important example. You see a lot of inner city kids, mostly African-Americans, don't have father. I think 80% of them have no father. So no father, no role model, meaning that the only source of peers you're going to coming from the street, from the people you hang out. The community will be the network of criminals, the gang, the people you hang out every day with. And that's obviously not very good because this, you can end up with more crime than less crime by mm. punishing more. And at the other extreme of low incarceration rates, there's Sweden. Is that much lighter sentencing model holding together better? Sweden is very, very light on crime. Uh, so basically, as I say, we cannot punish, we have to help them coming back to the society. It doesn't work perfectly. In a, in a country like US, you cannot do that. I mean, people own guns, crime is very high, there's a lot of poverty. And on the other hand, it's a whole system you have to think of. Sweden is like Australia. You have a very uh, high safety net. So if you're an employee, you get benefit, they help the poor. So of course, crime is not a question of race, it's not a question of being evil, it's a question of opportunities. If you're born in an inner city with no father, no income, obviously it's going to commit a lot of crime because that's the only uh, opportunity you have. But if you are in Australia or in Sweden, where you have much more opportunity to work and income, even if you're unemployed, then obviously you commit, commit less crime. Again, it's a choice of society. You cannot see a black kid without the father in a poor family has the same chance as the white kid in a good area in, in the U.S. A Puritan ethic, a, a fundamentalist ethic coming through the society. Yeah, yeah. Someone said uh, America got the Puritans, Australia got the convicts, and Australia probably got the better of the deal. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Obviously, for an economist, for a researcher, America has so much data on crime and punishment. It must be a rich field to find the examples you need to, to build a case. Yeah. Are there particular areas that you've specialized in there? Yeah, so I work a lot about criminal networks. Criminal networks is, is you want to understand how uh, people who are linked to each other in some way, in some kind of way, commit crime. And what you see is very interesting because Becker was saying, well, you know, uh, opportunity matter, cost benefit. But then there is, a, there is a paper in the 90s showing that they were looking at different districts of New York. If Becker is right, then it has to be that if I look at different um, economic outcome, let's say poverty rate, unemployment, so forth, I will see the same crime level. And then he, he discovers that in some area, which have exactly the same unemployment rate, poverty rate and other, you have hundred, not twice, not three times, hundred times more crime than the other area. And they sh he shows in this paper by Ed Glazer from Harvard, he sh they show that basically the key was the connection between criminals. In some areas, there's a lot of gangs, a lot of interaction. In the other one, you don't have that. And that creates what we call um, social multiplier. The fact that by myself, I will commit some crime, but the fact that I have with other people, I'm going to augment my number of crime just if, because of social influence. So if, if crime is normal, you commit crime. Exactly. If you're part of it. Exactly. And it becomes a vicious cycle. Exactly. And then you're stuck because even, you know, there's a lot of papers showing that if you go to prison, 
you learn about crime and even, even more criminal. You have no money, you go to prison because you commit some crime, petty crime, then you come out, then you, 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 know, you have no job, so you pay, your friends say, let's go commit crime, and that's no way you're going to stop that. Self-perpetuating. Yeah. Well, how do, you, how do you break it? How do you break that yeah. cycle? Um, how do you attack a network? Yeah, but basically the idea is to say, okay, uh, there should be some trade-off between punishing, as I say, you need to punish, but also helping broken family to build again. But the network gives you the structure, and I have developed an algorithm where I try to identify what I call the key player. And basically, the key player as a, as a criminal in the network for which when you remove them from the network, you reduce the most total crime of the network. And I've worked with actually very good data with uh, the Swiss police when I was in Sweden. So basically, the question is that, do we have data about networks and criminal networks? So the way I define it was a different way. Whenever two persons has committed crime to, uh, together, I, I call it co-offender crime, then I say there's a link between them, okay? Then I build my networks and I say, okay, uh, let's remove this guy, so you can do some simulation, uh, and then see how much crime will be reduced. As opposed to what the, the police is doing, they say, how you target people? Well, we look basically at criminal records, immigrants, stuff like that, and I show that you can reduce much more crime if you target actually the key player or the key person in the network. The people are really important in the network. These kingpins take on mythological proportions. We think of the wealth of Pablo Escobar and his Colombian drug cartel, or the godfather, Don Corleone, whose filmic character was based on the real-life mobster Frank Costello, known as the Prime Minister of the Mafia. The importance of these figures in their networks is incontestable. What about completely unknown main characters in some of the thousands of criminal gangs on the streets of America? How do you identify the kingpin, the key player you need to target to get that criminal organization broken? I read a couple of papers about uh, Chicago and uh, LA, but Chicago especially. They reduced a lot of crimes there. There's a lot of crime here, but they reduced a lot. And what they did, they didn't do a scientific approach, but they tried to identify the kingpins who are the key player in these networks and then target them. Of course, you cannot do like in the movie, uh, Mind the Report, you cannot arrest people before they commit crime. But what you do, you put a lot of resources on some of them. You listen to them and, and you see how they interact and try to stop them. But if you take out a kingpin, looking at the mafia, you take out one godfather, doesn't that just mean several others spring up? Sure, that's a good point. But the question is that, okay, if the guy is at the top, is because there's something about him. He's when, good at crime. Yeah, he's, he's got, got talent. He's got talent. But basically, this guy, you get it out uh, of the network, you put it in prison, then there's a second guy. But the second guy is not going to be as talented. But then you remove five, six, seven people, like they did in the mafia in the Italy, and you really have a huge effect on that. And that's why I think people are doing for uh, terrorism. California has imposed the three strikes law since the 1990s in an attempt to lower crime rates. The term comes from baseball, three strikes and you're out. It implies that if you committed two earlier crimes, the third time you're caught, you are basically imprisoned for 25 years to life. The system has resulted in overpopulated prisons and California is currently spending more on the penal system than on education. Crime rates are lower, but people are beginning to question the efficiency of the system. Basically, the fact that when you have bad school, you're going to create even more criminal. There's always more crime than, you know, that's the demand. If there's no family, if there's no party to work, if there's bad peers, there's no way people are not going to be crime. Putting more and more people in prison like Zetuna is not a solution. 
Other people would say, those in favour of ever greater crime and punishment, the shock jocks who were always campaigning on it, that look at New York. New York had a campaign of zero tolerance. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Guilliami. Yeah, but apparently what research shows, that shows that it's not clear it's crime reduction in New York is due to the the tough policy or something else. For example, New York was very high in the 80s because there was a crack epidemic. There's a lot of crack. Now, you know, the economy is booming. So are you sure it's about punishing more or it's about, it's very difficult to because the two effect. You know, there's a lot of booming. The economy is going well in the US. There's no crisis. It's not clear which one is true. You know, you've done research on the Scandinavian model yeah. at one extreme, the Americans at the other. Yeah. yeah. Which way is Australia heading? In Australia, it's way below, actually, the US. Crime is very low, crime rate, compared to other countries. There is a very good system of safety net. But, of course, there is some issue. For example, in Melbourne, there's all this issue about the Sudanese gangs. This is a very small crime. Uh, I was looking at statistics. It's like uh, 1% of the crime offenders are, are from S- Sudan, which is still over representation for them. The majority of crime is, is done by uh, Australian. Of course, there's a lot of crime by drugs in the New South Wales, there's a, you know, the Middle Eastern uh, gang, but we are far from, from this statistic. But of course, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. And, and one of the questions now, it's, I think for Australia, is very important, uh, related to the integration policy. So if you accept immigrants coming to a new country with no relation, with no cultural connection to this country, with no opportunity for work, you can have problems with them. Yeah, those French economists, I find them very dangerous on the streets. <laughs> um, you've got to watch them. So while, yes, our crime rates are much lower than the US, yeah. our attitude to crime seems to be going down the American route. Yeah. We do yeah. have mandatory sentencing uh, yeah. in the Northern Territory, yeah. most obviously. Yeah. Uh, you can get jailed for stealing a bicycle there yeah. if you've had a strike before. Uh, we have one-punch laws in New South Wales, mandatory severe sentences. And we have tabloid journalism, shock jocks, forever demanding tougher sentences. Is that a slippery slope to an American system? I think so. The only way to solve it is not by putting them in prison. Of course, you have to identify the kingpins, put them in prison. These kids are fleeing war from Sudan, coming to this country. You know, it's, of course, a lot of traumatized experience and so forth. We need to help them come in the community. Of course, you have to be tough. You have to punish. But you have to integrate at the same time. You have to help them come in into society, give them work, uh, fight discrimination, maybe do quotas, affirmative action. I mean, there's things you have to do. I don't think you have to punish, but you have to do both at the same time. So it's a matter of building up positive networks, otherwise you create negative networks. Exactly. You also get financial incentives to punish. There are entire industries and companies devoted to building prisons, running prisons in the private sector. Is there a danger that they will exert influence on policy? That's for sure. I don't know about Australia, but for sure in the US they play some role. But at the end of the day, obviously, uh, the politicians have to decide. Of course, they have influence by the lobbying from, from this group. Again, it's a society what you want to build. I'm so happy that Australia decide that you cannot carry guns. And you see the effect, no more shooting for so many years. So this is the right way to go. Now, you've been applying network theory to crime. Yeah. It has broader implications than that? Yeah, much broader implications. Actually, I've been working on, on many topics. But one of very simple uh, topic is uh, financial uh, networks. So basically, we remember when there was a financial crisis in the U.S., and the question was, which firm you want to bail out? Actually, my key player ideas, I've applied also to financial network. The question is that, which bank you want to 
bail out in order to avoid financial contagion or systemic risk. You know, because you have interbank loans every day. So the banks which are keys give loan to all these small banks. If they disappear, a lot of, of banks are going to vanish. Governments are very wary of trying to pick winners um, because if a politician yeah. picks a winner and it doesn't win, yeah. um, they don't like being seen to lose. Yeah. Is that something that you can try to outsource to a, a, an academic objective system? Yeah, because what, what I do, I can explain exactly what I do, is totally objective. There's no political uh, any fairness. It's only efficient. There's an algorithm and I explain the way it's calculated and you exactly can identify which are the key banks or the key uh, sectors or the key firms you want to put the money on. So where does your research take you next? I'm following uh, this paper about I'm truly working on the key player ideas and try to adapt uh, to apply to other fields. I'm working about uh, Africa right now. And I wanted to look again at, uh, we look at different districts in whole Africa, and you want to see which are the districts which are key in order to generate more growth, local growth. And we identify the key sectors there and try to see which sector you want to identify. Again, we look at not only at the growth, but at the connection between the sectors. If there's a road between different sectors in Africa, which uh, uh, area you want to put uh, roads or transportation and so forth. And hopefully I will work on Australia in the future. Just going back to the uh, to the crime and punishment side, you do have to. There's still punishment. Sure. Have you done work on what sort of punishment is most effective? Yes. Yeah, so um, I believe uh, that it depends on what type of crime. But if the crime is not too serious, what is not murder or rape or whatever, I think community service will be good. The idea is want to bring back to the communities, right? You don't want them to be forever and then cannot go back home. So I just want to give an example. In the US, they have a couple of policy. Uh, where they try to improve um, poor people. There's one that's called Moving to Opportunity Program. And what they do, they just say, everybody will live below the line of poverty uh, in some area. We're going to help you uh, move out to a better neighborhood. So they give housing voucher and they, and they hope that they're going to get voucher. And I say, this is not a good policy. Why? Because it's going to help the best people who want to move, and you have a brain drain within the country because who are left behind has going to be the poorest and the more criminal of the country. So what I say, whenever you want to do a policy, try to kill two birds with one stone. So not only create jobs, but create role models. So for example, there's a policy in the US called Enterprise Zone Program, where you subsidize any firm who try to locate in depressed area that they will not locate. So you give money for them or tax-free, whatever. In that case, you do two things. Not only you create jobs locally, but you keep people in the community. You have, we have to punish, punish them, but think of not letting the best people from the community live in the communities. But of course, if you are, you know, if you are smart and you live in this community in the US, the only thing you want is get out of them. And the problem is that the people left behind are worse and worse. So in the US, they say, oh, we have created a middle-class African-American, which is true, but the inner city has worse than before. Well, this makes sense to an economist. It makes sense to someone who's rational. Yeah. Public opinion, the power of the shock jocks, yeah, of course, yeah. tends to push it the other way. Yeah. How do you turn that perception around? It's complicated because public opinion like black and white. They like simple stories. They don't like complicated stories. So they like think, okay, we know race is not an issue. We know uh, uh, it's only a matter of, of opportunity, of giving the chance. 
to make it. So it's difficult because then you have to talk about generic human effect. You know, if you put people in prison, meaning you have less money for school, for education. Less money for education, meaning that people are more likely to be criminal. But then you have to think a bit more. And I think in the media, in, in, in the TV and everything, you want very simple message, black and white. And that's easy. Yeah, I don't feel safe walking around Melbourne when there are a lot of white people. <laughs> I, I know they're committing most of the crime. Revenge is still a big thing in a Puritan-based society. Yeah. You know, the idea of an eye for an eye, yeah. revenge, uh, yet that is what you're talking about as being self-defeating. Yeah, so I understand revenge when when someone is killing your family, maybe, or, I mean, most of the crime is not murder. Most of the crime is, you know, surviving, taking money because they have no work and they have no way of, of making it. And also there's peer pressure. That's key. So I don't think revenge of what? Taking money from someone else? It's not revenge of killing someone. But I mean, we want a society where you are more tolerant. I mean, you want society when, in Australia when you can walk in the street, people try to help each other. We have a situation now of the government tightening up on uh, refugees, on recent migrants, yeah. providing fewer services, actually reducing the social safety net for them. Yeah. That sounds like the wrong formula for what you're saying. You, you need to give them safety net, you give them help get into the work, you help them learning English. This is key because when they're there and they have permanent residency, you need to help them integrate it. They're going to be there for, for a long time. We European, we are a bit luxury. You know, if I'm not happy here, I can go back to France or to Sweden. It's a nice country, there's no problem. But when you're from Syria or Iraq, you don't want to go back home. There's war there. So you need to help them get into society. Trying to look at the big picture, yeah. is the tendency of society, of tabloid journalism, to look at the individual crimes rather than the big picture of what sort of society we want? Is that, is that the debate we're not having in this country? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, of course, when you're a journalist, you want to sell, again, your objective is to sell newspaper. Nobody cares about the big pictures. They care about, you know, sensational news. But as a politician, you should care about the big pictures. Do you want to live in a society where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Or do you want a society which is more egalitarian? You pay more, more tax, the rich are not that rich and the poor are not that poor, like in Sweden, for example, or here. But you can walk in the street, you can trust people. That's, that's a question of choice of society. And you want to build communities, you want people to, to live together. I believe the second one is a better choice. Uh, and we can do that. Especially in Australia, there's not that much crime. We don't have this huge pocket of unemployment and segregation. So we can still do it. I hope so too. Professor Yves Zinner, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. You've been listening to Thought Capital from Monash Business School. You can find out more at monash.edu forward slash impact. Thought Capital is produced by Tina Zanu. Editing and post-production by Nadia Hume. Technical support by Gareth Popplestone. Executive producer is Helen Westerman. <laughs>